Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Welcome to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. Join Andy Schneider, National Spokesperson for the USDA APHIS Avian Health Program, Editor-in-Chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine, and author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, Chicken Fact or Chicken Poop, and Zero Waste Chicken Keeping, as he welcomes top poultry veterinarians, poultry scientists, and poultry nutritionists to discuss the hot topics in the poultry world today and provide science-based, fact-based, study-based information to help you raise the healthiest poultry possible. And now, here's your host, Andy Schneider. Alrighty, thank you very much for joining us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. We have a great show lined up for you today. My special guest is Dr. Maurice Pateski. He's a poultry veterinarian and epidemiologist. We're going to be talking about, he's going to be suggesting some ideas about what to do with all that chicken poop. Uh, we've got about 90 chickens here on our homestead, and we have our share, actually, of chicken poop, I can assure you. And I'll share a little bit here when we get started on the topic about what we do here on the homestead. But because Plus, we got cows, we got goats, we got pigs, we got turkeys, we got rabbits, we got you know all these other animals, too. And uh, we'll just kind of share what we do with all of the animal waste we have here, because some, uh, even the animals that we have here, aren't really recommended to put, say, in a compost that you're going to be end up putting in your garden, um, but we can use it in other places like flower beds and whatnot. So um, we'll get to that here in just a minute. I want to share with you, because the countdown is on, to Cooptastic 2020. It is February 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. Yes, this is a three-day backyard poultry conference. It is a national conference. Um, we have more people coming from longer distances than we do have local folks coming from shorter distances to this event uh, currently. Um, and they're flying in, and it's just it's going to be fantastic. We have tons of vendors that have signed up. I still have two more to contact that reached out this week that want to participate. Um, and we're getting everything finalized. So if you want to be guaranteed a on-site hotel, I must have your reservation um, and, and your registration and your payment 
by January 22nd. That's coming up in, what, a couple of weeks? Um, and then after that, it is, it's potluck. You may be on site. You may be uh, stuffed in a hotel off-site, which is a 30-minute drive in the morning for breakfast, 30 minutes all the way back to the hotel uh, after everything uh, is done that evening, and then back the next morning, and then back in the evening, and then back in the or- – so um, if, if you want to be guaranteed a room, on site at the beautiful Alabama 4-H Conference Center, then you need to register before the 22nd. Otherwise, you may be stuck at one of those off-site hotels, and it's kind of a rural area, so the closest, next closest hotels are a 30-minute drive away. So uh, keep that in mind uh, when you're looking at your budget because you want to make sure you register sooner rather than later. Also, the vendors are starting to share this event, um, Ideal Poultry, um, McMurray Hatchery, Metzer Farms, um, Kombach Feeds, uh, Tucker Milling. Um, let's see who else we got. Small Pets, I don't think Pulse Met Select, um, Innovation Pet. The vendors are starting to share this with all of their fans and followers on social media, and so we are getting actively more and more registrations each day um, as the event gets closer. So keep that in mind. Let me just so so uh, let, let me just share this with you regarding Cooptastic 2020. And now we return to Backyard Poultry. Well, that is the wrong um, wrong button here. And the switchboard's gotten confusing here, and the, they changed some things around in 2020. Here we go. This is the right button. Are you one of the many Americans that keep backyard poultry? Do you want to give your birds the best care possible? The Chicken Whispers Cooptastic 2020 Conference will teach you how, plus more, too. Cooptastic will be February 21st, 22nd, and 23rd, 2020 at the beautiful Alabama 4-H Conference Center near Birmingham, Alabama. Educational programs by poultry scientists, veterinarians, and nutritionists, plus fun activities give you an unforgettable experience. Conference packages are available from just for a day to the full experience with meals, entertainment, and lodging. The all-inclusive package is an amazing value at around $300. On-site lodging is limited, so reserve your spot as soon as possible. Visit www.chickenwhisperer.com today for more details. Alrighty, so um, I want to um, make sure that everybody's aware that for that $299, that's two nights hotel, all your meals. I believe there's six full meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, that you'll be receiving all your snacks uh, during the break sessions, all your professional entertainment. We have a professional motivational magician that's going to be there um, on Saturday night, the, the um, s'mores um bonfire meet and greet from uh mcmurray hatchery that's going to be included um uh, got everything is uh, your nine uh, educational breakout sessions are going to be included in that 299 you can't go anywhere in fact it's less than cost uh, you were paying actually as an attendee less than cost the um uh, vendors and sponsors are forking over some of the cost actual cost uh, this is a, basically a non-profit nobody's making a dime all this 100 percent of the funds are going back into the event um and so 
so you are paying literally less than what it would cost. I don't know if you travel. I don't know if you're in the corporate world, but go and try to find two nights hotel, all six meals, uh, and educational sessions by poultry veterinarians, poultry scientists, and poultry nutritionists. You are not going to be able to beat this whatsoever. It is an amazing deal. That's why we have people flying in from California. They're popping the airfare from California, from Vermont, from Pennsylvania, from, from Wisconsin, from Washington State, because they know 299 you can't beat it. You can't go down the street to the, to the local uh, motel, drive-up motel, and get you know two-night hotel, six meals, educational sessions, entertainment uh, for 299 It is amazing, amazing. And we did this uh, because we know. We know everybody's on a budget, but we know the, the information you're going to get from Cooptastic is second to none. Um, so Cooptastic2020.com is where you go to register. Again, the 22nd, I need the hotel and meals I need to give to the conference center um, for the 22nd. So that's going to be the, the deadline after that. It's potluck whether you get to stay on site or not, if um, we can even get you your meal package and whatnot through the convention center. So uh, keep that in mind. Uh, cooptastic 2020 Com. It's going to be a phenomenal event. Really, really looking forward to that. And, and let me just stress this too. No bloggers are going to be up there on the stage talking. Okay, uh, We're not going to have any companies up there teaching classes to push their product. Okay, We're not going to have uh, a home center that just has sharing their experience. Oh, yeah, well, I do it this way and I do it this way, which could be very well the wrong way. Um, poultry veterinarians, poultry scientists, poultry nutritionists uh, from three major universities, University of uh, Georgia, uh, North Carolina State uh, University, and Auburn University, all from those three major poultry science universities. So um, it's the real deal, folks, cooptastic2020.com. Okay, let's talk about what we do with all this poop. And so we have an array of animals here on the homestead. Of course, we have cattle. We've got the goats. we got the um, uh, turkeys. We Of course, we have the chickens, 90 chickens. Uh, we've got, gosh, what else do we have? Well, we have the dogs, and we have the cats, and we have the we have rabbits, and uh, what am I missing here? Hogs. Uh, in fact, that's why I was about one minute late from the live broadcast of the show here because uh, I had just gotten back from the processor with a uh, hog that we had processed last week and trying to find freezer space. So um, we have lots of poop here, and uh, I'll be honest with you. My wife is in charge with all of the poop here um, because she is the gardener. She is the, I guess, the farmer, and so she's done all the research and, and research what poop's good for what, how long it has to be composted before we can use it, what poop we can use on the human human uh, food that we're going to have, what what poop we can use in the garden area, the garden beds with our sunflowers, um, and then uh, what can we use with our tomatoes and, and all the other um, uh, gardens that we we have around here that produce fresh for consumption and non-consumption. So she's she's done all the research on that. So I'll say, well, just well, she's like, no, stop. We can't we can't use this poop here. Wait, this is my pile for that poop up here. So she's she's the poop expert, if you will, here on the homestead. But I know we have several different piles of composting, and actually some we put right into our garden. Like right now, nothing's in our garden. We did not have time. We were under the gun, so we did not get a fall garden in. But nonetheless, it would be over really producing now uh, for the most part anyway. So really since about September, October, we clean out our coop, and we just put everything, instead of normally going into a compost pile and composting it, with other things, we put it right in our garden. I put it all into the back of a little trailer. I go up in and drive the tractor up into the garden area, and it all gets uh, scattered there. And uh, then we till that in, and it's, it's, it makes for absolutely an amazing, amazing garden. Um, we can actually back, back in the day, 10, 12 years ago, when we had a smaller homestead, 
we would actually move the chicken coop into the fenced garden area uh, during the winter months and have the uh, basically the garden fenced and garden area would work as the chickens run, if you will, because we literally move the chicken coop into that area. And then we would let the chickens kind of out and then they'd scratch through the garden area, eat the weed seeds, poop in the garden area. And then maybe about a month or so before planting season, we till it all in a few times before we plant. And I kid you not, we had the, the, the first year we did that. Uh, everything that we had normally been planning went craziness. We had literally, we were, my wife's probably five, one, five, two, five, three, somewhere in that area. And she was on her tippy toes, actually picking tomatoes off these. We had to use, uh, we had to hammer in fence post just to keep the tomato plants from falling over. So uh, we've been here at this homestead now for two years. We have a new garden area. There's never been a garden there before ever in the history of this property. So we're building up that quality of soil. So um, she's very um, aware of what we can put in there, what we can't, how do we put on it, when we till, things like that. Because she's, she's, again, the garden master here on the property. And so uh, we'll, uh, we're building that soil up from what it was, which is just, just void never never used uh, area to now getting that rich uh, loam and the, the um, uh, nutrients down in there and, and a top dressing things like that so she's the expert on that but I've got an expert on the phone uh, right now Maurice uh, Pateski is a poultry veterinarian and epidemiologist and he said hey let's talk about ideas of what we can do with all of this chicken poop and that's why we're going to bring him on because I, and actually my wife probably should be doing the show because she could tell you this, that, and the other and what we all do here and what poop goes where and why we use it here and why we don't use it there. Um, but we're going to focus today on chickens and chicken poop. So um, welcome, uh, Maurice. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Happy New Year to you. Yeah, Happy New Year to you, Andy, and to all your listeners. It's uh, good to be back. Hopefully, hopefully everyone had a good uh, uh, holiday and New Year season and got some got some good family time and got to relax a little uh maybe a little bit relaxing holidays <laughs> i don't know <laughs> um, I, tr- I try to but man it just seems to be so craziness and uh tenfold but uh we, we tried there were some days we had to just sit and relax and, and uh, drink some hot chocolate and, and play some board games with the, with the kids and uh absolutely i love those times and love those days but um i hope you did you did the same um is uh real quick because we always start with kind of some current events don't want to uh, of course uh, over uh, drown the, the the topic today why people are tuning in but um the virulent or the the newcastle is still rearing its ugly head out there and uh, is there is there any i guess it's i don't know what the terminology to use i guess could you say it's not running rampant like it it was or is it still we're having spots of it show up or you know being at winter and 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 it probably being a more high risk time of the year my understanding with it's with spread and whatnot or tell us kind of what's going on out there in california right now with the newcastle yeah, well, it's still uh, the outbreak is still continuing. It's it's not as kind of rampant as it was this time last year, um, but we're still getting some positives here and there, um, and the quarantine is still in place. Um, so, you know, I think the most important thing for people to realize um, is that um, you know when you do have these outbreaks, this is a foreign animal disease, and we want to keep it a foreign animal disease, which means we need to. Um, we need to stomp out the disease, um, and that's 
requiring a quarantine to be in place, and that's also requiring you know, a lot of surveillance and a lot of outreach and a lot of communication. Um, so it, it's it's a very challenging situation. It, it's what makes it, among other things, just so uh, challenging is there's language barriers. You have commercial poultry next to backyard and fighting birds, and all of those contact and contact patterns, you know, make that Southern California area higher risk when it comes to introduction of, of diseases like Newcastle disease and, and how they can spread and um, hopefully not become endemic. Um, but it, it is a challenge. It's been, it's been a long slog for all the people that are involved in, in trying to, to end the outbreak. And this is the, the third time in 50 years we've had this kind of outbreak in Southern California. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're all trying to, to kind of prevent this from happening again after this outbreak uh, hopefully is over um, at some point in the near future. But there's, there's a lot of challenges. So um, I know we have uh, people in my lab and grad students and um, there are other laboratories that are doing research to try to um, do all kinds of different things. We're really focusing on modeling, on uh, some social media, um, trying to do, when I say modeling, this, this is a fancy word for trying to make predictive models to try to understand uh, how the disease spreads and how we can potentially, what are the most effective steps to stopping the disease from spread. From spreading, and then the USDA and the California Department of Food and Agriculture are doing um, a lot of the boots on the ground work, um, and a lot of the outreach um, and and encouraging vaccination. So I, I would say anyone that's in Southern California, or just in general, anyone that has poultry, to, to be aware that um, these kind of things will uh, happen and they can happen. And uh, when we do get outbreaks of disease, it's really really important. I think first and foremost to kind of focus on, you know, something we've, we talk about repeatedly, um, and, and, and you, I know, have, have, have I've always talked a lot about biosecurity, but it really comes down to biosecurity, and, and, you know, kind of the first element of biosecurity is is really just making sure your birds aren't moving around. Um, if you're going from show to show to show or event to event to event, um, that, that's one of the, the easiest ways to spread disease. So if we can, if we can reduce that, and that's why we have this, this, this quarantine in place across most of Southern California at this point. Yeah, I actually was contacted twice uh, in the last couple of weeks by folks out there that run some of the uh, um, informational Facebook groups about the, the Newcastle, and um, they were saying, you know, we, we're still, you know, please continue to help us, please continue to spread the suggestions, because they're still having people move birds, uh, and they're moving birds purposely to try to avoid inspection, to try to avoid testing, to try to avoid maybe uh, getting a positive and having their birds cold, so they're, they're not helping situation, if you're listening to the show, you're not helping matters whatsoever by being by let's face it being selfish and saying well i'm just going to go move my birds because i see them coming down my street or i hear that they're coming to you know uh, you're 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 doing more harm than good by by moving those birds and you're continuing this on and on and on and on and on and on so uh, yeah two two times the last couple of weeks i've been contacted by folks saying we still have knuckleheads that are moving their birds um and these aren't folks that have the the fighting cocks that are bringing them these are folks that have the pet chickens that are now moving their birds um because uh they they want to avoid the uh either the inspection or the testing or don't want anybody to know that they've got them so they're moving them here and then they'll move them back over here and then they move them back home and it's just not a good situation so uh yeah do that biosecurity um for um 
good of everybody that's got backyard poultry because you got a lot of show folks out there that are there frustrated because they're not having their shows. The American Poultry Association, American Bantam Association, they're canceling shows, and then they see what's mm-hmm. going on by the by the non-show, just backyard pet chicken people, and they get frustrated with that. Like, what are you doing? And uh, it just goes full circle. So um, thank you very much for that update on what's going on out there. Let's move right into uh, all this poop that these uh, <laughs> that these chickens make. And I don't know. I don't have the answer. I see people say all the time, well, a chicken actually will poop every, you know, whatever it is, every about 25 minutes or whatever the case may be. You see some of this, you know, truth and stretch. But so they, they talk about poop when I'm teaching my classes. And we talk about poop. I'll say something like, well, if you have chickens, uh, we know about how much they can poop. Or if you have chickens, you have poop. And, you know, that poop is absolutely everywhere when we're talking about biosecurity and uh, uh, talking about salmonella and different things like that and uh, and whatnot. So there's a lot of poop. I cringe when I can't get outside early enough to get, say, my all 90 out of the large coop that they're in. Because I know the longer they stay in that coop, the more poop's going to be in that coop, which means more shavings, more uh, frequent cleanouts, more <laughs> yeah, so more ammonia. So uh, I, I try to get that because hey, if they're pooping out on 13 acres, that's one thing. But having it all concentrated in the coop, and especially under those roosts, uh, where the way I look at it, Doctor Pateski, is if you know your chickens put them up in the evening, uh, and then they come out in the morning. They're in that coop half their life. They're on that roost for literally half their life from the time they go in at dusk to the time they come out at dawn. That means half their poop because they're half their life. They're up there. Half their poop is, is going to be under those those roosts. So obviously that's where it uh, accumulates. But, yeah, if I, I, I cringe when I can't get them up and, and get them out there early because the earlier I can get them out, that's that much less poop that's going to be pooped. In the coop, they're out pooping and, and, and you know out free range or whatnot. So uh, <laughs> and and I and, you know you can definitely see a difference. Shoot, if I if I locked all 90 of those birds in and didn't let them out at all, just kept their food and water in there, then wow, I'd be having to change that coop out a heck of a lot more than getting them out at you know six or seven in the morning versus even 10 or 11 in the morning. That's that many more hours every single day, every single month that they're in there, and that's that much more poop that's in there. But share with us. You know, let's go down your outline and share us about what, what you had planned today for poop. <laughs> yeah, so so to your point, anyone that's ever held a chicken, um, you know, they, they poop a lot. So you're, you're talking about a few times an hour, um, which is, is pretty normal. So um, there's a lot of poop coming out there. Uh, just kind of skipping down to, to if I don't forget it, but it's it usually about if you if you take the poop and you get rid of all the moisture in it, um, you're, you're talking about like a, about uh, close to a third of a pound of poop per day. Uh, or what composters call black gold. Um, so, so poop is, is an important thing. And actually, you know, when you think about, um, you know, organics, uh, organic regulations, um, the uh, organic regulations, you can't use synthetic fertilizer to grow your fruits and vegetables. You need to use compost. And the, you know, one of the ingredients that goes in a compost uh, can include, among other things, can include feces. They can also include uh, poultry carcasses. Um, so you can compost almost anything um, if you grind it up appropriately and you heat it up appropriately, um, and then it can be used as this just amazing soil amendment. I mean, this is this is uh, farming and civilization here. So it, it is a uh, it is if used appropriately appropriately, it's really important to um, to be able to leverage. And and to that point, there was a paper that was published a, a few years back. 
um, by a, a professor at UC Davis called Joy Mensch, and she, Joy, Dr. Mensch is retired now, but had previously done a lot of work on poultry welfare and had dabbled in kind of the backyard poultry uh, community. And one of the things they asked in the survey of master gardeners across the United States was, well, what are, what are the major reasons that you keep backyard poultry? Um, and as I think most of the people, hopefully on uh, that are listening, might might suggest, you know, the number one from our uh-huh. survey was 95% said um, that food for the home was number was the most important. Um, but number two was uh, 63% of the people. Uh, and this is close to a thousand people that responded to the survey. Um, they wanted gardening partners. Um, so uh, um, they uh, they wanted. Um, they wanted um, to be able to utilize um, the manure as a fertilizer. So these are master gardeners. So these are, are people that are pretty uh, passionate and sophisticated when it comes to their gardening. Um, but um, you could see how that, how you know, if if you're uh, so inclined, how you could really leverage not just the eggs that the poultry produce, but the the the, the feces that they use um, in your garden. And uh, that's kind of what we want to talk about today. Like, what is, uh, you know, the basics of composting? What's the best way to do it? What are the do's and don'ts? And, and kind of kind of going from there. Um, the, the, the kind of main thing I want to point out is, um, you know, one of the things we've talked about, and this, this is kind of trying to just give some context. We've talked about poultry litter. And one of the things that I've commonly seen is that most backyard poultry owners don't have litter. They've got like a dirt pad or they've got their coop um, and um, the birds poop and, and, and wherever they end up pooping inside, like as you mentioned, either inside the coop or outside. Um, so one of the advantages of having poultry litter is that um, it allows the, if you use the right litter, so in California we use a lot of rice holes, but if people use um, other um, uh, wood shavings, for example, um, that's what we call litter, and that litter um, has a, it does a great job of uh, absorbing odors and of um, allowing the decomposition of the, the feces, of the poop. Um, which is kind of part of the process of composting. So it's not complete composting, but I would say if you have a coop and you are keen to uh, take advantage of the feces as a composting substrate, um, one of the things that you should probably consider is having a bed of litter in your coop. So these rice holes or these wood shavings, whatever it be, um, and that does a few things. Uh, first and foremost, if you have too much feces in your coop, as, as you implied, Andy, um, when you come in in the morning, um, especially in the wintertime when you're really trying to keep your birds kind of warmer and you're trying to insulate the coop a little more, you'll come in in the morning and uh, you'll often smell a very strong ammonia smell. Um, and that ammonia smell is not good for humans. It's also not good for birds. As we've talked about before, it can cause corneal ulcers. Um, which can be a real problem. Um, and one of the ways to mitigate that is to have a bed of litter, so uh, six or eight or ten inches high um, in your coop. And the birds are, are pretty clever, so biologically they'll poop on the litter, and then they'll, they'll even do you a big favor. They'll kind of mix that poop into the litter. Um, they'll kind of rototill it in there. 
So uh, they'll do that just as kind of part of their nature. Most breeds of bird will do that, not all of them, but they'll kind of rototill that in there. And and what that does is a couple things for you. It starts that decomposition process, number one. Um, it Any odors that are associated with that kind of get absorbed in that litter material, uh, number two. And um, you are – the common mistake I see a lot of owners make is they, they treat that litter almost like cat litter, and they say, oh, I'm just going to pick up this uh, poop every day like my cat, and I'm going to you know, put it in the composter or I'm just going to throw it out, um, which is also an appropriate thing to consider if you just don't want to deal with the hassle. Um, but they don't have to do any of that. If you've got litter material and you've got a bird for every two square feet or so on the inside of your coop, um, you shouldn't have to do anything. Um, you can basically change that litter out once a year and you should be fine. Now, um, if you are having problems, you might have problems because there's not enough litter in there. There's too many birds per square feet, for example, um, and now you're getting some of those odor issues. Um, and those odor issues and the ammonia issues associated with that are also, you know, you're not too far away from potentially having some disease issues um, because um, if you're not managing your coop correctly with respect to space or with respect to substrate, um, that can certainly lead to all kinds of uh, infectious diseases spreading. So just some context there on, on what the value is of, of having litter. And the other advantage of litter is now you don't have to clean your coop. And the second advantage, um, in addition to that one, is you once a year or once every you know quarter, once every season, you can just take that litter material and put that into your composter. And the litter... Um, the wood shavings or the straw is really high in carbon, um, and the poop is really high in nitrogen. So that mixture of nitrogen and carbon is really important um, for composting. So if you're just taking your, your poop and you're sticking it in your composter, um, it's not going to compost correctly. And, and I think as a lot of people kind of intuitively know, for compost, you know, you can do all the things I'm going to talk about later as far as measuring temperature. Um, and that the, the, this, this temperature goal that you have, we'll talk about in a, li in a little, but you want your compost to be between 140 and 160 degrees for three days. That can be challenging, but if you have enough litter in there, enough carbon in there, and you're mixing up your pile correctly, um, you can certainly do that. Um, and, you know, in general, you know, before this, I was talking to um, one of the engineers in our, um, in our department who does a lot of work with composting. And, you know, the general recommendation kind of for backyarders is about 25% manure and 75% bedding or plant material. And it's really important. I thought this was really interesting for the plant material and the bedding, uh, or at least for the plant material, it's really important for that plant material to be kind of brownish. So if you have corn husks, for example, it's really important to wait till those corn husks or grass um, shavings become brown because when they become brown, now they're mainly carbon. Most of the nitrogen at that point is, is out of, of that material. So um, I thought that was kind of an interesting insight that um, I heard from um, this faculty member. So um, one thing I kind of so, – so as we kind of move along, when we think about that, that manure material, when it comes out of the chicken – it is not appropriate um, at that point to apply it onto any crops or grass or any other type of, uh, of, of, of area that you might want to apply. Um, and that's because, as we kind of intuitively know, chicken poop's got a lot of bacteria in it and a lot of bacteria that are harmful to human health, including uh -huh. E. coli, salmonella, campylobacter, 
um, among other kind of bacteria. Um, and when these bacteria, as I think we intuitively know, when they come into contact with fruit or vegetables, um, they can either stick on the surface um, or in some situations they can actually move into the plant cells. So if you did everything incorrectly um, and um, you said, well, I'll just wash it or I'll just cook it, um, cooking will obviously kill all bacteria. But if you're just going to wash raw fruit or raw vegetables, there are scenarios, and no one really knows how common this is, but there are scenarios where bacteria can actually be um, ingested, for, for to, just to, 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 to be as, as explicative as possible, they can actually be ingested into the plant cell, and you can't wash off bacteria from a plant cell. So um, it's really important um, in those situations, because of those type of situations, it's really important to compost your material before you actually apply it onto any potential uh, uh, crop that you might be eating. So um, what I would say is collect, whenever you collect your manure and your substrate together in a, in a perfect world, um, and again, it's better to collect it together because now you don't have to collect your poop every single day from your coop. Um, if you've got the, that substrate, you know, uh, wood shavings and rice holes, um, that does a lot to addressing any odor issues that you might have. It can be challenging this time of year because it's just so wet and so humid in, in most of North America at this point um, that um, your, your litter material can get pretty wet. And when it gets wet, that's when those ammonia smells start kind of coming again. And um, it's not getting decomposed in, in the fashion that we need it to get decomposed in, the, the, the chicken poop. Um, so it's important to manage your, um, your litter material appropriately. And what I mean by that, it's when you pick up the litter, especially this time of year, it should be, the fancy word is friable. So I should be able to pick up that litter and I shouldn't be able to squeeze it and get water out of it. I should be able to pick it up and, and I should be able to kind of sort of put it into a little ball, but it should flake apart really easily. We call that, the fancy word for that is friable. We also, in the summertime, just to kind of, you know, kind of show you, you don't want to go completely in the opposite direction and have everything completely dry. If you have that litter material super dry and there's no moisture associated with it, that, that's also not ideal um, because you're creating so much dust and that's mm -hmm. not good for human little ones or for uh, human big ones or, or, or chickens for that matter. So there is a, a middle ground when we think about all the litter um, and, and what we want that litter to be. Um, and there is a general kind of principle um, that we want at least a cubic foot of material to allow that kind of composting process um, to be um, to, to start when we're in our um, in our barn itself. Um, and I like to use that, you know, kind of just go for bedding that's six to eight inches deep, have two birds per square feet, and see where that gets you. Um, is probably a, a good place to start. And then um, every quarter, every season, um, or once a year, you can just take all that material and you can put that into um, a composting um, um, a composting bin. And this is where I think some people, um, you know, when you think about composting, it's really, really important to, to realize that the composting pile will attract flies and rodents. So there's two different ways to compost. So um, one thing is to say, okay, I'm just going to leave a pile in my, you know, in my backyard. 
um, and I'm just going to leave it there, I, and I'm going to put a tarp on the top of it. I don't like that way um, because, A, um, that process of composting, if you don't mix your pile, takes a lot longer. Um, so now we're relying on more of an anaerobic process, a process that doesn't require oxygen. Um, and the other reason I don't like that is because it's on the ground, and I promise you at some point rodents and insects are going to get into that pile. Um, and that's a real risk, especially from a um, biosecurity perspective, because now you basically have a magnet. Um, and um, the other thing I really highly recommend is put your compost, um, your composting um, pile, or in a perfect world, a raised container um, that's off the ground to prevent rodents, for example, um, from getting inside there. Put that as far away as you can from your chickens. Um, because it will attract attention from all the things that we don't want to get near our poultry, wildlife, rodents, insects, flies, all those types of things. And if we put that right next to our birds, um, we're just kind of um, uh, kind of playing with fire a little. Um, so make sure you have something raised off the ground. Um, I know um, Costco and, and you know obviously Amazon and all those kind of resources. If you type in uh, composting. There's all kinds of different devices you can get. I like the barrels um, that you kind of open up and then you put all your material in there. It's a good foot off of the ground. Um, and then it's got kind of a little crank on the side where I can turn that pile um, every you know few days or so. This time of year, the real challenge, especially for, for backyard producers or people that don't produce a ton of poop, um, is getting a large enough pile to be able to generate enough heat to get the inside of that pile between 140 and 160 degrees Fahrenheit. Because ideally, you want that between 140 to 160 degrees Fahrenheit for three days in a row. That is not easy to do this time of year. And that's why when I say, you know, do it seasonally or just do it once a year, I kind of like the once a year or twice a year approach because now you've got a little, if you are strategic about it, you can do one of your piles in the summer, for example, and kind of go from there. <coughs> Excuse me. Sure, um, no so problem. That's a, yeah. I was going to take a break when you get to a stopping point. <laughs> yep, yeah, no, that's a good stopping point. Sorry. Okay, no no problem. So, folks, if you're just tuning in, we're talking to poultry veterinarian epidemiologist Dr. Maurice Pateski, and we're talking all about what to do with all that chicken poop. And, and again, great information about the, the, the science behind what we can do, what we can't, in ideal places, and places that aren't ideal and temperature. So I knew he would be able to shed a lot of light on this, so things that we may all never think about, which I know that – when I have my wife listen to this, she's like, oh, yeah, that's that's why I tell you, you can't do this and you can't do that. So uh, he's just uh, reassuring everything uh, that my wife probably tells me on a daily basis when I'm uh, scooping poop. <laughs> Gotta love it. Hey, folks, we'll be back right after this short break with more. Stay with us. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. 
Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. At Comboc Feeds, Our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. Sweet PDZ has been keeping horse stalls ammonia-free and healthy for nearly 33 years. However, ammonia is ammonia, regardless of the species producing it. Therefore, it will do the same great job in your chicken coops and brooders. Sweet PDZ safeguards flock health by neutralizing and eliminating harmful levels of ammonia and odors. Safe and effective moisture absorption. All-natural, non-toxic, premium-grade zeolite mineral. Contains no masking scents or chemical perfumes. Safe and beneficial to dispose with waste on compost and gardens. Learn more at SweetPDZ.com. That's SweetPDZ.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. And now we return to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer with your host, Andy Schneider. All right, thank you very much for staying with us today. If you miss any of the show and you're very interested in the topic, don't worry. Uh, probably within 15 to 30 minutes after the show ends live, it is formed into a podcast, which you can listen to 24 hours a day, seven days a week, download, listen to it in your car, blah, 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 all that good stuff. So uh, don't fret if you missed uh, the first or the top of the part of the show, you'll be able to listen to it in its entirety as many times as you want <laughs> later this afternoon. No worries. Um, I want to share with you, so many of you know, I kind of, uh, we consolidated here into one large coop. We used to have one and two, three, 
four coops, I think it was, and then we had we, we got one huge 10 by 20, 200 square foot coop, and we got our nest boxes in there. We, got, we videoed that. You can go take a look at our Facebook page and the nest boxes we're using and, and, and the bedding we use, how we're set up, how, how I made these roosts, and how um, they actually, I can move them. So they're, they're attached at one end of the coop, but I can, me and my wife can just raise them up, and then we have up top and we chain it so we can clean it out so we just lift the, the whole roof system is one unit and we just can we grab it and we can push it all the way up to the roof joists and chain it and then it just stay there and then we can clean out or uh, spray uh, uh, the chick fresh in there or the, the put out the sweet sweet pdz and then our wood shavings our pine wood shavings and that type of thing so it works out uh, really well but the way, kind of what we do at that point is when, when we do clean our, our, our coop, we put down a nice layer of the um, sweet PDZ. Uh, and that comes in either you can buy it in the 40-pound bag horse stall refresher. You just heard an ad for them. Uh, or you can get it, if you have a smaller setup, you can get a, I believe it's a 10-pound bag. And then, and then it's called coop refresher uh, for the backyarders. It comes in a 10-pound bag. And we'll put in a nice layer of that. And we get our pine wood shavings we get from um, uh, American Wood Fibers. You can find those at Walmart, and uh, we'll put down a nice many inches of that for many different reasons. Uh, as Dr. Pateski was talking about, several inches of that so they can kick it around and get the, the um, poop mixed in. But also when they're jumping off the roost, you want to make sure you have a nice soft landing for them. Um, for that, a lot of people don't use that, and they end up having leg injuries, and, and why is my chicken limping, and different things like that. So, so we put nice, uh, and then actually, um, I try to every day when I collect eggs, that happen every day, um, at least every other day, every third day. I've got, and you, you know we tested this product for about a year before it went to market, and that is the Chick Fresh Odor Control Spray. And so they just came out with a, a concentrated bottle, which is four ounces, which makes actually five of the regular bottles you're familiar with. But I put that four ounce bottle in a one gallon sprayer. You know, those one gallon pump sprayers, you can get them at Home Depot for like nine bucks. Um, and so I have them, I have about three or four of those designated for all different kinds of things we spray here uh, with our animals and then produce and things like that. But I've got one designated for the Chick Fresh product. I put one of those four ounce bottles of Chick Fresh in, fill it up with water, I pump it up. I keep it out there by the coop, and I just, again, spray those shavings to keep uh, the, 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 um, the ammonia down. I keep it actually smelling pretty nice in there, and so um, it's uh, we really um, we really enjoy that product as well. You can find them on Amazon. Uh, just go to Amazon.com and look for Chick Fresh Odor Control Spray. Don't take my word for it. Look at the Amazon reviews and uh, the new ones. Always just trying to sell a product. Look at the Amazon reviews, and then you'll and then when you use it, you'll be a customer for life. But but, but the combination of those work really really well. I'm also looking forward to American Wood Fibers um, to to actually distribute nationally the odor control shavings that we've now been testing. It'll be three years we've been testing this product for them coming up this this August, and uh, I think it's released in a different market or a smaller market right now. But then we'll be able to switch over to their odor control shavings. So we'll be using, you know, triple fold. We'll have the sweet PDZ down, the granular on the, on the bottom, on the floor of the coop. And then we'll have the odor control shavings. And then we'll have, um, and all of this is absolutely 100% uh, natural. We can put all that, all the product we use. It's not harmful. We can put it right back into our compost bin and use all that and compost it and even put it into our, our vegetable garden. So take a look at them over on Amazon. Just search um, 
especially if you're brooding. Spring's coming up, guys. You're going to be brooding. Let's face it. You're going to have that brooder in a spare bathroom, in your basement, in your utility room. It's going to be inside your house. Let's face it. We don't really recommend that, but let's face it. The brooder's going to be in your house. And the number one complaint we have, it stinks. Can I get these birds out yet? It stinks. Um, and so you buy one of these bottles of Chick Fresh and you use it in your brooder, and and then and then you email me and let me know what you think about that. I'm, I'm honestly, you do it. You email me and let me know. That's how confident I am, in, especially at the, in the brooder stage. And if you broodered before, then you you're going to see a huge difference. Let's get back to our show. We've got Dr. Uh, Maurice Pateski here showing about what to do about uh, all this poop that we get. And he was saying that they, they poop uh, four or, or several times an hour, four or five times every single hour they're going to poop. And if you have chickens, you know that they are definitely poop producers. But like he mentioned earlier, uh, black gold right there, that's gold for us to compost and, and use it, whether it be in our flower beds or, or in our, our gardens or compost piles and things like that. So he's got a lot of science information here we're talking about to make sure we do this right. So uh, I'll turn it back over to you, Maurice. Great. Thank you. Um, so just to kind of um, kind of summarize, so collect your collect the manure and substrate material, um, which is the rice holes or the wood shavings, whatever it be, um, and then put that in your composting uh, off-ground composter that's kind of in the opposite corner of where you're – um, chickens are um, at that point you want to add enough water to, to make your compost pile kind of like a wet sponge um, so again that kind of friable you wanted a little more water than that so you want to be able to kind of like ball it up almost a little um, and then uh, measure the temperature daily so there are these special composting thermometers you can get basically what a composting thermometer is is a thermometer that's really long because um, in the um, conventional commercial poultry world where you're dealing with tens of thousands of birds and all that poop um, the um, piles of compostable material are huge and you want to measure the internal temperature of your pile before you turn it um, so uh, shorter thermometers are fine I, I think there are shorter composting thermometers you can find online um, but the goal is to get to 140 to 160 and maintain that temperature for three days now the reason you want to mix it is twofold um, when you mix the pile um, that does two things. Uh, first of all, it, it puts oxygen into um, the, um, the material that you're composting, and the bacteria that you're trying to support are uh, aerobic bacteria, and um, they can grow faster and displace the bad bacteria um, if they have um, oxygen. So everything happens a little faster if you can use, um, if you can insert some oxygen in there. And the second reason is, you remember when you're getting that internal temperature of 140 to 160 Fahrenheit, the external temperature on the outside of that compost pile is not 140 to 160 degrees. So um, if you just, uh, if you didn't, if you didn't expose that outside. Um, material to hopefully the inside temperature um, and that's why you want to keep on turning your pile every time it reaches that temperature um, at least two or three times 
um, the, the, you wouldn't have that outside material um, get exposed to that high temperature to inactivate and kill those, those salmonellas and E. coli, for example. That being said, it is common knowledge and it's very well accepted that when you are done composting, uh, that, that composted material will still have some E. coli, will still have some salmonellas, et cetera, et cetera. So you're kind of playing a numbers game here. Um, you know, the solution to pollution is dilution. You're, you're, it, it's not exactly the same thing here because you're really displacing and killing some bacteria and allowing other bacteria that are um, harmless to humans, you're allowing those, those bacteria to proliferate and transform that, that material into, you know, basically this black gold, this, this, um, this soil amendment. Um, so you have a couple options, you know, diagnostic labs do exist and, the, and they will take samples and tell you, hey, this is how many E. coli we found, this is how many salmonellas we found. And, you know, some people I've spoken to like that idea and they'll utilize that until they know that, okay, we know how to compost. Um, the other option is, um, you know, you know what compost looks like, you know what it smells like, um, and you know what feces looks like and smells like. So the reality is if you do a good job, you'll kind of know it. Um, and, um, you know, I'm a scientist by nature, so I, I always like measuring things. And with compost, um, you, you, can, you can tell. Uh, you can certainly tell and smell and feel um, what compost is like. There's some large farms that get so good at this um, they'll literally have something that is about the length of a football field, and the material on one side, you can't even take a breath. I mean, it, it'll, it's got such a strong ammonia smell, and you're just like, oh, my God, this is, you know, the worst thing ever. And by the time you get to the other side, uh, that material now, you, I mean, you literally, like, it, it just feels like this nice hummock soil. Um, and you know, it just feels like you're, you're, that's the kind of stuff you just, you could just imagine all the stuff that's going to grow out of that. Um, so if you do things right, it's, it's truly amazing when you really think about what, what you're doing and, and how you're able to take something that's, you know, not, not, um, that, that no one has any value for and you're able to transform it. So it, it is a pretty amazing process when you think about it. That being said, one thing I, I encourage people to be very cautious about is when you are composting material and you're applying it, two things you need to kind of think about. One is what are you growing? So there are crops that we call touch crops and crops that we call non-touch crops. So um, if you are growing lettuce, for example, lettuce is a touch crop because it's touching the ground. If you're growing broccoli or corn or something like that, that is a non-touch crop. So it is off the ground. And, and that's really important for outbreaks of disease um, in a backyard or on a farm um, because touch crops um, you need to be a little more cautious of because they are literally coming into contact with potential uh, feces and fecal material. And non-touch crops is a little harder. So when you water a touch crop, um, there, there is splashing that occurs between the soil and the plant itself. And you can, you know, it doesn't take a huge amount of imagination to anticipate how bacteria could be displaced from the ground, put onto lettuce, and, and you know, if you don't wash it correctly or whatever it be, you could get exposed to those bacteria. Non-touch crops, it's a little more difficult. Um, certainly possible, but much more difficult. So depending on what you're growing, those are kind of things that you need to kind of think about when you think about risk and, and how you're going to um, uh, um, apply the material. Um, so 
the next thing I kind of wanted to mention is um, when you're actually applying the material, um, you want to apply it at the beginning. So um, there is um, kind of a standard kind of general idea that you want to um, put the material, the composted material, on your plants um, kind of right when you've um, started to plant them or right before you've started to plant them and then not add any more material as those plants develop. So that's something I think a common mistake where people will kind of add soil supplements, um, including composted material, um, either um, right before they're harvesting or close to something like that. Um, so in general, you always want to apply the compost as near as possible to kind of planting time. And in general, I am not a horticulturist or anything like that, but just from, you know, kind of my understanding and uh, from reading the literature, you want to apply between one and two inches depth of compost to your garden. Um, you can't apply too much, and, you know, this is where nitrogen and um, uh, especially nitrogen and phosphorus management kind of come into play here. So with those kind of general rules, I just want to go over a few don'ts. Um, so don't add dog, cat, or human feces to your compost pile. So uh, in theory, could all those things be composted? Absolutely. Um, but, but now we're kind of playing with fire a little more, and, and I'm not, you know, you have to kind of think about what the, what the value and the risk-reward um, kind of situations are, and I'm not, you know, kind of comfortable with having those recommendations. Could you compost human feces? Absolutely. Um, but now you're dealing with other potential diseases, and it's, to me, it's just not worth it. Now, if anyone's seen The Martian, um, which is a great movie about this guy who got stranded on Mars, uh, he had to grow potatoes using his own poop, basically. So if you're stuck on Mars or the moon or something like that, absolutely, you know, go, go for it. But um, in, until that situation happens, um, I, I, I would not be comfortable recommending that. It's a great movie if you haven't seen it, uh, whether you like sci-fi or not. It's just an interesting story. Um, other kind of things you should not do. Um, so remember, again, in your coop, you should not smell ammonia because um, it can be damaging to that kind of outer layer of the eye, that cornea. Not just chicken eyes, but our eyes too, but, but chickens seem to be a little more sensitive to that. Um, the other thing I want to mention, and we've talked about this probably before, um, but don't use straw for bedding. Straw is great in nest boxes um, because we don't want the eggs to break, but straw is not very absorbent. I know some people like chopping up straw, and they've had more luck with straw being absorbent if they chop it up, and I'm, I'm willing to, you know, kind of consider that. But in general, uh, things like rice holes and uh, wood shavings are really good substrates, and, and I can't think of any reason to not use those, in part because that straw is just not very absorbent compared to the rice holes and the wood shavings. Um, and if you have straw, again, you're just going to get these typically these strong ammonia smells. That's a common... I think kind of mistake that a lot of people use. They just assume that they'll use the straw in the nest box and in um, in in the uh, in the coop itself. Um, and then again, the other thing I want to make sure is people are aware of that that you, after you compost, that that you're still going to have. Even if you look at the EPA and the Environmental Protection Agency, um, they're the ones that set the limits of uh, E. coli and Salmonella in compost, and they are not zero. Um, so it's really important to just be aware of that um, and to not just kind of have this feeling like, well, I'm just going to add this compost material um, and everything will be fine. And it's kind of interesting. There are situations where, um, you know, if people are really concerned, I can imagine them um, asking um, their uh, gardening store, um, looking at the ingredients on the compost bag. Because if it says chicken manure, 
he might say, you know what, I'm growing lettuce. I don't really want to chance it because that's a touch crop. And in that situation, um, there might be ways to get manure, or, excuse me, compost um, that doesn't include any animal feces. Um, because at the end of the day, you're basically just getting things that are uh, plant material that have high nitrogen levels. And, and can you compost plant material? Absolutely. Um, so uh, because we have so many farms in the U.S. with livestock and poultry um, and swine, um, that's why it, it kind of typically makes sense to kind of mix the two together and then sell that product um, eventually as compost. But I would imagine that you can find uh, composted material that does not have uh, any animal um, products in it. And, and if you were growing, you know, things like alfalfa sprouts and, and things that are kind of notorious uh, for being a little more um, exposed to salmonellas and E. coli because of, of where they're grown relative to, to, to the soil, um, you can certainly kind of consider that, especially if you have people that are immunocompromised in your home, and that's you know, typically um, people that are very old or very young or people that have compromised immune systems for, for various reasons. Um, those are things that you might want to consider. Um, but those are kind of the general things I kind of wanted to, to point out. Um, I, just in a general sense, one thing about composting, so um, in California, just as an example, we have about the same amount of dairy cows as all of Germany. Um, and Germany, um, in, from my opinion, to their credit, they have over 3,000 anaerobic digesters. Um, so these are these big kind of um, kind of semicircular domes that are able to capture all the methane um, that are, that is produced from these methanogens, from these bacteria that are in the poop, and they're able to use all that as a natural gas um, kind of source. Uh, and this is a renewable source of energy, and the, the digesters are a pretty amazing uh, renewable resource as far as uh, forming energy. We're starting to get more of them in the United States. They're, they're tricky um, to manage at the beginning, and they're, they're not cheap, but um, it is kind of an interesting way to get a renewable, uh, what we would call baseload level of, of energy from, 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 from livestock. Um, so it's just something to consider just to think about on, the, on a larger scale. Sure. No, that's very, very interesting. So um, our cows are, I'll make people mad, our cows are probably going to the processor here within the next 30 days. So we'll, we'll be we'll be eliminating cow poop here for, for a while. But my wife uh, does like the cow poop, and she's got a, anyway, so she's, she's, the, she's the poop expert here on the homestead, like I said, about four times earlier. I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Dr. Pateski. Uh, again, this is not related to our topic. I'm going to <laughs> I, I want to address something just to, to make people aware. We haven't done this in a while. Then I'm going to go to a short commercial break and we come back. I'll give you time during the break to think about kind of your response. But um, uh, during the last break, I was checking messages and seeing if we had any questions over on the Facebook page and, and Twitter and, and Instagram and whatnot. And I ran across this in one of the chicken groups that I belong to. And we see this all the time. And I, I, I basically my goal here is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this question uh, this young lady posed. Posted, and and then we all know the array of uh, fifty or sixty or seventy different answers people are going to give her, and um, and we'll address those. But and we come back, um, uh, not that I'm going to say, hey, how would you treat this chicken? You're a poultry veterinarian, but just uh, I'd love to have your thoughts on this, the dangers of this, and 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 the problem with this type of. Uh, 
outreach with I, I've got a sick chicken and then so I'm going to ask you this question we'll go to break and we'll come back and I'll give you time to ponder this but in one of uh, the chicken groups I belong to and this is very common and you know this um, I, someone posted a question one of my chickens may have a cold or pneumonia I have no idea how to tell or what to do Please help. So she's she didn't write down symptoms. She didn't write down if it's a hen or, or, or a rooster. Um, she didn't write down the age, the breed, nothing. Just one of my chickens may have a cold. She used that specific word and pneumonia, that specific word. Um, and but list no symptoms. How I, I need help. And um, the very first answer was isolate. So we like that answer, but it's isolate and antibiotics right away. Um, and then, of course, I was the second to respond, and, and I've been down this road for over, uh, well over a decade with social media. And my question, my answer was a little sarcastic, but it was Thailand 50 comments begin in three, two, one. <laughs> Because I know, because <laughs> I see it every single day, everybody's going to say, go to Tractor Supply, get Thailand 50, 1cc in the breast, uh, twice a day, boom, boom, boom. I already know what they're going to say, and sometimes that even varies based on how much. So, um, But that, that's the question we have I'd love for you to address, the good and the bad, the ugly with something like this, and, and not going into detail. I don't, I don't want to take more of your time than I have, but you know, one of my chickens may have a cold or pneumonia. I have no idea how to tell or what to do. Please help, and, and we'll come back and get your two cents worth on this. <laughs> this often, unfortunately, too often post we see in the uh, in the chicken group. So we're going to go to break, folks. We'll come back. We'll address this. If you missed any of our uh, uh, what to do with all this wonderful poop, uh, believe me, uh, in a few minutes after we go off the air, it'll be uh, the show will be into a podcast form, and you'll be able to listen to parts content. Always there. So we'll be back right after this very short break to address this issue with the. Uh, chicken that has pneumonia. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at strombergschickens.com. That's strombergschickens.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFradio.com. That's GQFradio.com. Come back. Come back, From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. 
Metzer Farms is now hatching and shipping the premier egg layer. This girl is consistently laying jumbo eggs with a higher nutrient density and lower water content than your eggs now. She is an extremely hardy bird and the most heat and cold tolerant egg layer available, allowing for year-round outdoor production. An eggshell unmatched in sturdiness and thickness, making cracks a thing of the past. Increase your health and double your egg profits. Of course, we're talking about ducks. Duck eggs are revered by chefs for their succulent flavor and by bakers for being the better baking egg. Learn more about this extraordinary duck, the Golden 300, or any of our other 35-plus breeds of ducks and geese at MetzerFarms.com and order your next flock from us. And now we return to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer with your host, Andy Schneider. All righty. Thank you very much for staying with us today. I also uh, have actually right now, no exaggeration, in my Amazon cart, I've got some uh, uh, chicken uh, delight. And it's a uh, it's, it's, it's awesome. The re- we, we tested this for about a year here on the farm. And not many things we test or use make the cut, but this was very impressive. One reason why I even uh, uh, considered testing their product here on the farm was because they are a global um, supplement company for agriculture, for animals, based out of Germany. They are global. They have offices in who knows how many countries. And the people who developed this product were poultry scientists, poultry nutritionists, and I'm sure they've got some poultry veterinarians on staff as well. And I've got some in my cart because spring will be here. We're going to be actually getting some uh, baby chicks here soon. And uh, it's designed for all age groups, all different types of poultry. Uh, But we religiously use it when we have the baby chicks and uh, especially when we do our starter meat birds as well here on the homestead. And uh, But you could use this every day if you wanted to, and uh, we use it during stressful times. So while on the bottle or the company may suggest phytobiotics, hey, use this every time you, uh, every day or every time you change the water around, um, we like to use the supplements when in the summertime here in, in the deep south when we have super, super hot days uh, and, and hot stretches um, uh, to help with the, uh, the stress of the birds. And then, of course, we like to start our chicks, both our layers and our meat birds, on this. And it, it's, it's just it's an amazing product. It's got the uh, amino acids, the vitamins, the minerals, the electrolytes, the um, uh, probiotics, the prebiotic. It's all. So if you're buying four or five different things and you have them all on a shelf, you can throw them all in the trash and buy this one item. Um, so uh, Chicken Delight, you can go to Amazon and check it out there, and that's actually in my cart now. I'll be buying some to get ready for this spring when we start another batch of meat birds and add to our layer population here on the homestead. So let me bring back Dr. Uh, uh, Pateski here, and um, it's just it's just, it's one of those things we see this, and, and it's kind of we see it so often, and it's really a shame, but it, it's a reality that people uh, are going to go to these. Um, so, so the people who are going to re- be responding to this uh, one of my chickens may have a cold or pneumonia I have no idea how to tell or what to do help uh, 99.9% of the people who respond are going to be uh, I've kept chickens for six months and they're my pets and I love them and that's all the experience I have or even if it's somebody like me who's kept chickens for uh, 
I don't know, decades now. And, and I'm like, how do, I, how do I respond to this with, with my knowledge, even talking with poultry scientists and, and poultry veterinarians and nutritionists for you know, weekly for years and years and years for over a decade? You know, I, I'm not qualified to, to answer that question, but we're going to see things like, oh, you, you need to start giving apple cider vinegar and some red pepper flakes and some garlic in their water immediately or like this young lady says, antibiotics right away, but she doesn't. She doesn't uh, get into the detail of what antibiotics. And then you've got the folks that say, oh, go get Thailand 50. Well, I prefer Thailand 200, which my understanding is not even a uh, antibiotic really designed for, for poultry. But that's the number one answer. Why? Because a couple of years ago, they took away all the water-soluble antibiotics off the shelf for, for, for reasons just like this, folks. That, oh, my, uh, my chicken sneezed one time. I've got to go give them water, uh, water-soluble antibiotics. And so now they're gone. Uh, rumor has it maybe they'll be getting rid of some of this Thailand 50 and antibiotics that are on the shelf. But I mean, what when I read that to you, um, uh, Maurice, it's um, what's the first thing that comes to your mind as a poultry veterinarian? I mean, she's using the word cold and pneumonia. She has no idea. She doesn't list her symptoms, and she's asking for help. What's what, what's the caution here and the dangers of doing this? And at this point, what should she do? Yeah, so you know, this is obviously something that comes up a lot, and it's and it's, huh. it's, it's a challenge. Um, yeah. But there are resources available. So I think one of the things, you know, this is probably one of the more common kind of questions I get is, what should I do? And and unfortunately, you just have to follow the process. So um, you know, the, the reality is, if you just kind of find some antibiotics or use apple cider vinegar or whatever, most likely you're just wasting time and money. Um, and um, no one wants to waste time or money. There are some public health ramifications, too. So if we keep on using antibiotics to treat viruses, um, eventually those antibiotics are, are, are not going to work against the things they're intended to work against, uh, and, and we know that uh, as, as a fact, unfortunately, and we're, we're, there's a lot of challenges in antibiotic, antimicrobial resistance over the next several decades. So there are reasons you don't want to do that other than financial um, but I, I would say, you know, we live in this amazing country where we have uh, resources to handle these problems. So we, we do have uh, veterinarians and we have diagnostic labs and we can submit our birds uh, to those diagnostic labs. We can submit fecal samples to the labs. We can submit chickens to the labs. We, our veterinarians can take samples and submit those to labs for very nominal fees to figure out what's wrong with them. Um, and um, that, that is the first step. Uh, the reality is if, if we are just going to start kind of willy-nilly treating our animals um, with, you know, all kinds of things that just typically don't work, um, we're, we're, we're kind of taking a huge giant step back. I, I don't like to waste time and money, but, um, you know, some people, you know, are, are, are just kind of, they fall into that trap of going on the Internet and, and finding the easiest solution, whether it's garlic, whether it's, uh, you know, um, apple cider vinegar, or whether it's, you know, some sketchy website that, that says that they should uh, use this antibiotic because that, that's what cured their chicken a couple of years ago. Um, right. You know, those are, all, those are all not, unfortunately, the right answer. I wish, I wish they worked. Um, I, it would make my job a lot easier if I could just tell people to get garlic or whatever it be, but it just doesn't work that right. way, unfortunately, and the, and the science doesn't support that. So, um, at the end of the day, reach out to your vets, reach out to your universities, reach out to the diagnostic labs. We have four diagnostic labs in California. We are not unique. Every state's got something like this. Um, so, 
if you can't find them, reach out to me, and I can help you track someone down. But that that's kind of in a nutshell, my my yeah, suggestion. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I learned early on that, and 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 that's why you know I've, I changed my tune a long time ago and started reaching out to specialists and experts in their field like you guys to share that information because I can sleep at night because you know um, you're, you're right that whether it be the blogger, the person who's going to reply to this has this experience, but um, you know that's <laughs> it, it, it you know it only goes so far sharing your experience so i don't even because people will come up to me when i'm on tour and they'll say well my chicken has green snot coming out of their nostrils whatever what would you do and and, and again you're, I, I tell them point blank i said i can't even i don't even share with you like well when my chicken had green snot coming out of their nostrils i use this and it works so it must be this and it must work for you uh and unfortunately that's you you hit the nail uh right on the head with that because because that often what happens when my chicken had these symptoms i gave this and it went away they have no idea that could have, it could have just gone went away without them even using that uh, or whatever they they used and so it it is frustrating and uh, but this is a perfect example of what we see day in and day out on these uh, chicken groups and, and forums where help I have this issue and they're going to get fifty different answers and, and and it's it can be very it's frustrating and I, and I know this person cares about their flock and they want to do the best they can but I think and they maybe this is the only way they feel like they can get that answer but it's it's unfortunate that she's now going to get tons and tons of wrong answers um when she can and, and I, I, other thing that baffles me and this is just human nature i get it there's been things that are fun that i'll buy instead of may buy something more serious i get it we're all human but for people to go out and buy a 50 dollar gigantic bag of mealworms but they, they balk at going and seeing a vet for $50 or getting that fecal flotation test for $20 or, you know, it, it, that, that baffles me when, when they don't blink an eye buying 50 to $79 worth of mealworms. But, but that vet visit is just, oh, no, I can't do that. So that's the most frustrating part for, for me. So, but thanks for sharing. Uh, I completely agree with you, and hopefully this person will, will go down the right path or get some, some information to help help her birds because that's what it's, at the end of the day, all about. We want to make sure people have a healthy flock of chickens. Uh, Maurice, thank you very much for joining us today. We'll see you the second Thursday uh, of, uh, let's see, Jeff, February. <laughs> and I hope you have a great new year, and I hope you have a great successful year great you too thank you all the best Andy thank you so much we'll see you next time um, and kind of segue from this question we just uh, asked or had this young lady we just illustrated is that you know Cooptastic 2020 is about a month away six weeks away now where you're going to have access to 10 10 poultry veterinarians, poultry scientists, poultry nutritionists from three major poultry science universities um, where you can take these nine educational breakout sessions. And then if your question is an answer, you come with questions, write them down because there will be specific times where these people, these experts will be available and you can walk right up to them and say, here's my issue. But also be aware that just because you're explaining everything to a poultry veterinarian, they will still be limited without actually physically seeing the bird, drawing blood, getting tests back. So even a poultry veterinarian, which I'm sure Dr. Potesky would agree upon because he said it on the show before, just calling me and asking me these questions, I'm still very limited on what I could do or to help without having all the tools necessary to properly diagnose what's going on. 
but you have questions about nutrition, you have questions about fermenting feed, you have questions about scratch, you, and, and boy, we hate scratch around here, right? You have questions about too many treats, you have questions about the, the laying pellets you're using. We have a poultry nutritionist there on the ground, uh, poultry veterinarian, poultry scientist, cooptastic2020.com is where you can register um, at $2.99. Again, it includes everything. You get there. How you get there, whether you hitchhike, take an Uber, take a lift, drive, fly, or whatever, once you're there, there's no worries. Everything is included. Every snack, every meal, every drink, all the educational sessions, all the entertainment, everything. You get there, and it's taken care of for $2.99. Two-night hotel included in that. Let me stress that. All of your meals. And these aren't just, okay, here's a sandwich. We're talking about breakfast with the eggs and sausage and bacon and orange juice, okay? We're talking about lunch. We're talking about a full meal with dessert. Uh, we're talking about snacks like cookies and sodas and coffees and teas during so Two ninety nine. It's a fantastic deal. Come on out to the 4-H Alabama 4-H um, Conference Center in uh, Columbiana, Alabama. It's going to be a fantastic. Cooptastic2020.com. I've got to run. I still have some more hog to get in the freezer here uh, on the homestead. Hope you enjoyed the show. Tune in every Thursday at 2 p.m. right here on Blog Talk Radio. And let me see if I can find the right button here to... <laughs> in the song and uh, or in the show and we'll be done here thanks so much for tuning in y'all have a blessed day <laughs>